The ability to push through adversity is probably the number one thing because it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Just like you said, this this is a tough business and you need to make sure that you're fully prepared and you're educated the right way because you know sometimes you don't know what you don't know until you don't know it. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Eric Chatterton. Today we're talking about building a team to invest in real estate together, but not just any team, not just any people on that team, but close family members who already have their own expertise in real estate so you can invest together, do business together, and hopefully grow faster together. There are a lot of common pitfalls that come when building a team to invest in real estate, particularly when you're doing business with your family. And today we're talking about a few ways that Eric and his family have set up their business so that they can all go further, faster together, and also prevent you know, bad things from happening. They can keep the guardrails up and still maintain a family relationship and keep that somewhat separate from their real estate investing business. Really fascinating stuff. They've accomplished so much as real estate investors. They've acquired over 1,100 units in the past two years, just growing so rapidly. And that is in part due to their ability to work together and to get things done effectively. A lot of great lessons in this one. You're going to really enjoy it. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and to date, I have acquired, invested in, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial and multifamily real estate investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcasts user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Eric Chatterton. We're digging through his process, his formula, for building a successful real estate investing team and comprising that team of your family members. Really fantastic lessons in this one. Without any further ado, here we go. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. You've had a very inspiring journey as a real estate investor. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do and how you're investing in real estate? Yeah, sure can. And Taylor, thanks for having me on the show. Excited to be here. You know, I've been following it for for a little bit of time now and just love listening to the episodes. So maybe Thank you. excited to hear mine when it comes out. <laughs> but no, so I'm in the multifamily space. I got in a, about two years ago now and I jumped right into large scale multifamily buildings, 100 plus unit buildings. And essentially kind of what we do is, you know, the way I got into it was you know, my own family was inve- were real estate investors for, you know, as long as I can remember for the last 35 years and both single family and multifamily. But kind of what I saw was I saw my parents, right? My parents were working 15, 16 hour days and, you know, they'd go to the apartments every day from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Then they'd go to their nine to fives and they'd go back to their apartments, you know, from five to eight or 9 p.m. sometimes. And I always saw them answering the phones, 
in the middle of the night, you know, going and fixing leaks. And I was just like, man, there's got to be a better way to do this. But I thought they were on the right track with real estate. And, and so that's kind of when I sought out uh, multifamily and, and syndications. And that's kind of where I, where I landed. And, you know, if you fast forward, you know, I jumped in, I got an, an education through, you know, an education platform. And I think any education you can get can really help propel you in the right direction. I'm a big believer of that and surrounding yourself with people that are actively doing it. But, you know, now you fast forward, we've acquired a little bit over 1,100 units. And, and now my, my own dad is on our multifamily team. He helps with asset management. Awesome. That's great. So that's a very powerful example to witness is to see your, your folks, your family invest in real estate. And, and you clearly saw that there was something there, but maybe they weren't going about it in the most optimal way to generate passive income. What do you think the maybe the biggest couple of, and maybe, maybe this is going to be tough love, right? But the biggest couple of mistakes that they made and, and why it was so much work rather than being passive income like we're all seeking. Sure. So so one, I think, was the size. You know, there was a 26 unit and a uh, 42 unit, I believe. And so, and then, so that was one factor because they were smaller, you know, the cash flow wasn't necessarily high enough to be able to justify paying a property management company to full-time run the property. So I think the size is one of the factors to that, which is why we target, you know, 75 plus units, 7,500 plus unit buildings. But the other thing is the market. We, we grew up in a, I grew up in a town called Klamath Falls, Oregon, small town. There's not a ton going on there. It's not, it's not what we call in the real estate industry. It's not what we call an emerging market by in fact, population's probably declining. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, they decided to purchase assets in a market that is not emerging where there's not population growth, job growth, job diversity. And for those reasons, you know, they weren't able to, in, a, in my mind, you know, see the type of growth that they wanted to, to be able to get the gains they want or to be able to attract, you know, a large scale in, uh, property management company to that market to run them which forced them to self-manage all of their assets. They had 10 to 12 single family homes as well. So they were self-managing two multifamily buildings and several single family homes all at the same time. Wow. So that sounds like the kind of the worst of all worlds, right? Like I said, we're, we're all here for passive income. And one of the things that really fascinates me, interests me about rapid growth in this space is when I was learning more about you and your company, I saw that you have a pretty well-built out team and I wanted to discuss with you that that process of realizing that you needed to build a team and you needed to put people in these seats and what hats did you want to wear versus have somebody else wear and all that kind of a thing. So let's dive into that and start sure. with, you know, your process of building your team. Yeah. So, you know, I jumped into this whole thing completely by myself. And, you know, for those that are listening, you might be in the same boat, right? You might be, have a little bit of experience in real estate or no experience in real estate. And then you're like, well, where do I start? And so like, how do I start by building a team? And that's kind of where I was. But what I did know is that I wanted to become an expert of this, of this space. And so I, I sought out to get as educated as I could, right? So I jumped into an education program that taught me all that I could learn about multifamily. The program is called Multifamily Mindset. And I you know, love those guys. But anyway, so I jumped in there, but I realized really, really quickly that there was way too many hats to wear for me to do this thing by myself like way too many. And, and so I was like, you know what, I'm going to need some help. And I didn't mean to, but my team, if you look at my team, we are all, we're the definition of a family operation. We are, you know, we all have the same morals, same values, all of the above, which makes working together 
a lot easier. But I, I was in it for maybe five or six weeks learning how multifamily works and getting educated and you know, trying to figure out where my strengths were, where my weaknesses were, what I wanted to focus on, what I didn't. And then I'm frying a turkey, November, November for Thanksgiving in November, 2020. And, you know, I was talking to my, my in-laws and at the time it was my, my, my girlfriend's mom and dad were now married by the way. So investments have been going good. good. No, but, <laughs> but yeah, I know I was talking to them and just telling them about what I was doing with multifamily and you know, I was telling Brett and Megan Davenport, I was telling Brett first about it while we were frying the turkey. And Brett's like, man, that sounds awesome. And I was like, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a lot of work and, and I don't quite know what, you know, how I'm going to do it all, but it's going to be, it's going to be fun. I'm going to figure it out. And Brett was like, man, I should be your partner. And I was like, well, hold on a second. You know, like <laughs> I'm just dating your daughter. We're boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, granted, of course I knew I was going to end up with her. We'd been together at that point for what, two and a half years or so. So anyway, so I was a little hesitant because to me, family comes first. It's always family first. And last thing I want, it was unknown waters. You know, last thing I wanted to do was, you know, ruffle any feathers or, you know, get into something and not succeed and have that affect what my relationship would be like. And so that was a real concern. So, you know, sat down Brett and told him what my concern was. We decided, hey, family first always. And we actually found out that both Brett and his wife, Megan Davenport, they have completely different skill sets than myself. And, you know, Megan comes from a construction and, a and asset management background already. Brett comes from a finance background. And so he's great with numbers and Excel spreadsheets. Megan's great with, you know, the construct construction side of things. She can spot out, you know, mold or water damage or anything like that really quickly and know the costs and what it takes to fix that. And so she was perfect for our asset manager. Brett was perfect for our underwriter. So that left everything in between. So I do this social media relations, capital raising, content creation, marketing, and overall brand development to attract investors to us. So together we fit three legs of a tripod and now we're just building out each leg to be thicker and stronger. And so now, you know, we're just building a strong foundation. So now we've got five members on our team. My own dad came in as one of our team members as well on the asset management side of things because he had 35 plus years. But that's kind of how it all happened. I didn't know where I was going to start. I was hesitant to bring in family, but you know, at the end of the day, I couldn't be more blessed. I couldn't be more grateful because it, it, it you know, it brought us closer. And now we've acquired, you know, seven multifamily buildings together. You know, over a hundred million of real estate that we're partners on, and it's 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 really exciting. So yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Glad that's working out for you. So you're in this position now where you've acquired all these units and you're teaching others how to do it, speaking at all these different events, the program that trained you how to do it. And I would imagine as with any training program, you're watching people who take action and succeed and people who don't take action and therefore, you know, don't succeed, right? That's just kind of the nature of real estate training programs. Doesn't matter mm -hmm. how good they are. Not everybody makes it. I would imagine that there are underlying common themes between both of those camps, the people who take action and succeed and the people who don't take action, don't succeed and somewhere, you know, in between. What do you see as underlying factors kind of on either side of that equation? Is there an underlying current for the folks that do succeed or the folks that don't succeed? Yeah, you know, I'm a firm believer that I, I believe that past performance is a huge indicator of future performance. And so, you know, I always try to help people look at their current situation and their previous situations. And, you know, if you've seen success in things you've done in the past, and at the end of the day, it also comes down to belief. You know, if you believe in yourself and I think grit and, 
you know, the ability to push through adversity is probably the number one thing because it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Just like you said, this, this is a tough business and you need to make sure that you're fully prepared and you're educated the right way because, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know until you don't know it. And then you're in a situation and you're like, I don't know how to deal with this. And so, you know, I think having that solution oriented mindset, right? Where you look for solutions to of two things as opposed to looking for reasons to not do things, that can really help a lot. But I think just the ability to push through adversity, the ability to think positive, those are all really, really key factors because, you know, I, I could have very easily have turned and run the other way, you know, at my first failures. But, you know, when I jumped into this thing and it took me seven months to get my first deal, seven months. And so, you know, there was a lot of LOIs that didn't get accepted. Uh, you know, we, we submitted 27 LOIs before we finally got one accepted. And, you know, you got to ask yourself, do you think that I was super motivated and hyped up around 21, 22, and 23? <laughs> no, man, no. I, I, you know, I was, I was losing steam for sure. And in those moments where you do, best thing to do is lean on your team that you've built, you know, because I've had my moments, my Brett and Megan, they had their moments, you know, everyone has their moments. And uh, lean on your team that you've built, lean on the network, lean on your education program, any coaches or mentors that you have, family members, people that are going to send you in the right direction, not in that believe in you, not people that pull you away from what your end goal is. So as you were making all of those offers, putting in all those letters of intent till you got the first one, did your approach change between those or was it just really a matter of just cont continuously plugging away? Did you refine along the way or was it just, hey, we just had to do a lot of these to get the deal? A, a combination of the, of the two. Yeah. I mean, it, it was each each time we submitted one, we got better. You know, every single time, we, you know, we, we wanted feedback from the brokers every time we submitted an offer. Like, hey, Mr. Broker, obviously we didn't win this one. No problem. But, you know, what could we have done to be more competitive on this one so we can be prepared for the next deal? You know, get some feedback, figure it out. And that way you can, you know, grow from each experience. But I think a lot of it too came from the fact that we had a lack of confidence when we first started. You know, there's always that fear. It's like, well, what if it does get accepted? Well, what now? You know, now I got to raise funds. Now I got to put together, you know, we need attorneys. We got to put together an asset management, like all this stuff. And so there's always that fear too. And so I think at the beginning we were submitting offers, you know, to get familiar with the process where we, we hoped they would have gotten accepted, but, you know, probably knew we weren't the most competitive. But as our confidence started building, then we started submitting a little bit more competitive offers. Also, you start building relationships with people that could add value to your business, right? And so, you know, one of the ways that that, that helped me specifically was we built some relationships with some really strong sponsors when we were new. And, you know, when we're submitting offers, just Gibby's Capital Investments at the beginning, well, it, there's not much speaking to that when we haven't even closed a deal, you know, whereas if we're able to make a connection with a sponsor and they have, you know, been completely on board with us to work on the next deal that we get, as long as it fits a certain criteria, then we'll go talk to that sponsor. If the underwriting and the numbers pan out and make sense, we'll go talk to them and say, hey, look at this deal. Numbers make sense. What do you think? Sure. Let's submit an LOI. So now it's not just the Gibby's team submitting an LOI now, it's the Gibby's team plus the sponsor. And that's what we did at the beginning, which then the sellers and brokers, they're looking at our team as a as an individual unit, not split up between us. They're looking at our team as a singular unit, which increases our strength. So you're able to piggyback off of the strength and success of 
team members as opposed to just relying on yourself and with no experience and no track record. So did your rate of, and I, I doubt you have the numbers you know, at hand, but just your feel, did your rate of desire to submit an LOI on a property change at all as you continued? So what I mean by that is you're getting all these deals in your inbox from mm -hmm. brokers, from whoever, you're looking at them, probably underwriting them before you want to move forward. Did your desire to actually submit an LOI go up or go down as you continually underwrote more properties throughout the process? You know, I, I for me up, I, I just, I was like, man, we're getting closer. I know we're getting closer. I know we're getting better. And we weren't just submitting them and praying. We were, we were learning from each one. So our confidence was going up. So we felt like we were progressing, even though we were losing. <laughs> And, you know, there's a great book called Failing Forwards by John C. Maxwell, and it just teaches you to shift your mindset on, you probably have it, look at all the books behind you. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it's, have that it's, one just, digitally. it's it's great, right? Teach you to shift your mindset and actually seek out failure because that's where you see the most growth. And so I, I just love it. But but yeah, I think it made us more excited each and every time we got one rejected or not accepted. And then to put it in perspective for you, it took us seven months to get the first one. We closed on the first one. And then 10 days after that, we got an LOI accepted on our second because of this new, you know, type of LOIs we were putting out with a strategic sponsor on there with us. Nice, nice. So how much time on average would you say you invest in a deal that comes into your inbox until you're willing to put an LOI in it? Like how much time do you spend underwriting a deal before it's like a yes, no, we yeah. move forward type of thing? That's a Great question. At the beginning, it was taking us several, you know, sometimes two, maybe even three weeks. Because if you're if you're doing it the right way and you're being thorough, you're looking at all factors, right? You're looking at the market, you're looking at comps in the area, you're looking at everything, and sometimes even going and walking the property nearby properties. Like you really want to make sure you have your business plan sound before submitting the offer. We you know we try to always avoid retrading, so we try to do as much legwork and due diligence prior to as we can. But to answer your question you know, more depth. I, I honestly wouldn't even know anymore because the beauty of my business and the way we've set it up is I don't do any of the underwriting. It goes right to Brett and Brett is our numbers and Excel spreadsheet guru. So he does all the evaluation. And as you start scaling and growing, you know, we're, we're at an exciting point where that's where the business is at. And so, you know, if I get a property, first thing I'm doing, I'm sending it over to Brett and he does a quick evaluation. I know he does two types of underwriting. He does a quick and dirty underwriting is what he calls it. That's a quick evaluation, you know, to make sure the initial numbers make sense. And if it hits those, then he will do a very in-depth, deep dive into that property and underwrite it. And then we'll always go put eyes on it. So I know now he's, he's quickened that process up. But yeah, personally for me, once he gives me the green light and we submit an offer, get it accepted, you know, for me, once we go under contract is when I start my role, which is where I raise the raise the funds, do the investor relations. And we're always doing more marketing and, and content creation as well. But but yeah, luckily I, you know, I'm not focusing on that at, at all anymore. Nice, nice. Okay. So I think one of the things that folks run into when they're doing business with their families is kind of separating out the family part of things from the business part of things, especially when you're spending time together. Say you're you know, whatever together on Christmas, are you spending that day talking about deals or can you, you know, put that away for the day and, you know, watch a football game or, or whatever and separate those things, still have a personal and a family life and not just go hundred percent business. How have you kind of parceled those different 
lifestyles, if you will, out or have you at all? Like, is it all business all the time? How do you find that balance? Oh man, yeah, that is a constant battle, right? But <laughs> no, but full full transparency, we were not good at that. It was, and it was more so purely out of excitement. You know, we'd get excited about a new property or, you know, a new relationship made or a conference I went to or things like that. And so we wanted to talk about it, but especially because we, we all live in the same city here. So we, you know, it, we'd go to dinner and it would end up ruling the conversations until one day, one day, this is an important day, change, everything changed. And it was all because of my wife, Savannah. She made a pretty strong stance that she felt like that the family time was getting consumed with business talks. And I could not respect her more for it because it opened up a lot of our eyes to the idea that, you know, we all live here. We do activities as a family so we can be a family, you know? And so business time is business time. Family time is family time. And we have a pretty hard cut on it. And now anytime one of us brings it up, we, we always, it, which and in fact, it really doesn't anymore at all. But if it does, we usually pr put a pretty hard stop on it and say, hey, we'll talk about that later. So we're, we're pretty good at it now, but it wasn't like that always. So thanks to my wife, Savannah. Shout out to you, Savannah. <laughs> That's a that's a good call. So how do you how do you draw that those those or set up those guardrails, right? Is it just an agreement? Okay, this is going to be ahead of time that this is going to be family time, and if it comes up, then you know, hey, we'll talk about it later. Or I don't know. Do you have offices where you know that's the only place you're you're talking business? Like, where do you really draw the lines? You know, ahead of time. Yeah, if if we're agreeing to go do like a family activity. Like if it's just Brett, Megan, and I, or Brett, Megan, my dad, and I, or our fifth, our fifth partner, Caleb, then we'll definitely talk business. But if any of the other family members are there, it's pretty, it's pretty strict that it's family time. So yeah. So if there's anybody outside of just the people that are involved in it, we'll usually, you know, not have business discussions. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So with any partnership, any business partnership, not just family related, but there's always the question of handling disagreements. It's just kind of natural, right? We're all rowing in the same direction, but you know, some rowers might think we want to go, you know, left and others might think we want to go right in any particular circumstance. Have you had anything like that come up where you you have a disagreement? And if so, how have you handled that? No, no, we haven't. You know, we've been su I'm thankful for it. I'm, you know, I'm not saying it won't happen, but we're, we all are coming from the place of we want to learn and grow together. And the, the beauty about our team is there's mutual respect amongst us all. You know, there's not one person that makes the decisions on anything. We come to each other for all things and just verify all decisions. All our communications are together for the most part. So, we, you know, we usually are CC'd on all emails together. So it's very much a unit. And so, you know, have there been conversations that start one way and go another, sure. But we think those are healthy. You know, we, we, we invite people to share their opinion as opposed to reject it. And it, as long as everyone's on the same page of, you know, this is like, we're, we're, we're sharing an opinion. There's not necessarily one right way of doing something. As long as, you know, everyone's on that same page, then we come to our own conclusions. Okay. And we great, just grow great. from it. Sometimes, you know, if things work great, if they don't, then we grow from it and get better. Wow. So that is, that, that, that can be tough, right? To, to put the, to make sure everybody's on the same page, you know, Hey, we all care about each other. We all want to go in the same direction. And maybe we have to have a, a tough topic type of conversation, but we know it's not personal. We're just talking about, you know, business in particular, we're all really on the same page. We're just talking about business strategy or whatever. Yep. It can be tough to have that. 
So before we move to the three questions I ask every guest on the show, any parting words of wisdom for folks that are out there thinking about going into business with their spouse or other family members, maybe top things that they can do before really moving forward with that decision? Like with family members specifically? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I would say it's definitely, uh, there's a fine line. And I think the number one thing that I've learned is to keep that line there, but it can be either a huge nightmare or it can be the biggest blessing. And for me, it's been a huge blessing. It has brought us together. It's brought us closer. And the cool thing is, is like, you just remember what your overall goal is, right? Like our goal is to help our family create generational wealth for the future. We want to set the pace for, you know, change that path for every, you know, family member moving forwards. And the only way we do that is by having the same goals. So, you know, we're doing quarterly meetings, we're doing biannual meetings, annual meetings to always reevaluate and assess where we're at. But I think the biggest thing is look at everybody on the same playing field. It's not, you know, even if you have more experience, don't look at yourself as someone that's better, you know, figure out what part of your business and your role. This, this is one of the biggest things that works for us is we all stay in our own lane. You know, I'm not telling Brett how to underwrite and Megan's not telling me how to, you know, raise funds or do social media. And I'm not telling Megan how to asset manage the properties. We all stay in our own lane and have 100% trust in each other. And because of that, it allows us to be able to focus on our expertise and our area that, you know, we have expertise in. And so I say like, you know, figure out if you're, figure out first, if your skill sets complement each other. You know, for us, luckily in, in our situation, all of our skill sets complement each other. You don't want two people that are great underwriters and go try to open up a, a multifamily business. You need someone that can go do asset management and raise funds and things like that. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. So glad we dove into that today. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Eric, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Sure. Let's do it. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Okay. Best one. Okay. Well, I have two things that come to mind. So I'll kind of tell you both. The first one is investment into my wife. And I think that's huge because there was a time when, you know, she's, she's seen me pursue my goals and my dreams and hit new levels of success. But you know, what about her? Right? So we want to support her and her goals and dreams as well. So there was one day where she was sleeping and I, I, you know, put the time, effort, funds available into setting up an entire office for her. I went and got, bought a MacBook Pro for her. And then I bought her the, a real estate course to be able to become a, a realtor. And so in the state of Texas, and she passed. And so she became a, a, real, a real estate agent. And I think sh me showing her that support, one, helped her believe in herself, but two, it helped her to 
see that I cared about her vision and helped her to be more bought into my vision as well. So that's the first one. The second one I would say is, is into my team, you know, making sure that my team felt as invested into this as I was, you know, so we, we'll go to conferences together, you know, conferences cost money, you know, education costs money. So we'll, you know, I know we're not talking about education, but making sure that, you know, we have the right team in place has put us where we are today. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like if we didn't have a team that was diverse the way it is right now, you know, we wouldn't be near where we are without all of the legs of, of our, of our puzzle. Awesome. Awesome. So we had the best investment or best investments. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Okay. There, there's one investment that I've lost money in and it was, it was out in Colorado. There was a hemp farm that I, I invested into, you know, the hemp farm was going to grow a high grade seed and then COVID happened and they were going to sell the seeds, but COVID happened and we're no longer able to sell the seeds. And so, you know, I threw in 50,000 bucks to that investment and well, on, to put it simply, you know, they still have the seeds. So <laughs> yeah, you know, haven't seen any return there, but that's okay. You, know, you, you learn, you move on. I kind of jumped into a space that I didn't know anything about, you know, so you do your due diligence and do your homework. And I kind of jumped in and, you know, it was more based on a relationship than actual numbers. And so, you know, just keep that in mind when you're evaluating these opportunities. So that's interesting. You know, the only stories I've heard about hemp farms and, and the cannabis farms are kind of horror stories from investors. I wonder why that is, because somebody must be making money in this business. But as far as I know, I haven't met anybody that is. I, I'm, I wouldn't know either. I was just the money. <laughs> I was just <laughs> the funds. But I'm, I'm sure there are people. I don't know them out there. But yeah, didn't so work out for us. Stick to what you know. <laughs> yeah, stick to what you know. You got it. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? The most important lesson I've learned is communication and transparency. You know, the more you can commun communicate and be transparent, the better, you know, people can see right through it if you're not. So don't try to fluff things, but also like not just being transparent, but like communicating and over communicating if you can. And I, I'll give you an example. You know, I had, you know, I had an investor that was supposed to wire funds over and they were going to come in as a, they were going to help fund the earnest money, right? And for us. And so anyway, the day that the earnest money was due, I talked to him a week before. I said, hey, we're going to wire the funds over on this date. This is when the earnest money's due. They said, okay. So I, I didn't communicate with him up till that day. And so I thought I was good. You know, we talked to him a week ago. Well, you know, if we don't wire funds that day, then we could lose the deal and we might even still be able to be held liable for, you know, what the, the earnest money even, you never know. And so anyway, the, the, I call this investor and they were like, I was like, Hey, you ready to wire? It's 300 grand. And they're like, no, we, I, what are you talking about? I need a couple of days to move things around. And I was like, shoot, <laughs> you know, that's not good. That's not good at all. And so anyway, we ended up getting our butts saved on that one, but the learning lesson there is maybe reach out on Monday, you know, two days ahead of time. And then again, on Tuesday, two days ahead of time, send a reminder and also the day of. So that's mm -hmm. the lesson I learned. Communication, transparency, it'll take you far. And, you know, we're building a reputation here, right? Your, your reputation is everything. And, you know, you always want to make sure you're upholding a certain image for your reputation. 
and doing business a certain way. And even if, you know, don't chase the dollar, you know, chase the relationships and do, do things for the long term, not the short term. It will weed you out of this business quick if you just chase, chase dollars and don't do things the right way and buy the book. Absolutely. Wow, Eric. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, teaching us all these great lessons about building a team in real estate and comprising that team with close family members. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? You know, the best ways I'm all over social media, LinkedIn, Facebook are my primary ones. But really, if you want to learn more about me and Gibby's Capital Investments, then go to our website, www.gibbyscapital.com. And that's G-I-B-B-Y-S capital.com. You can see all the info about myself, my team, and, you know, any deals we've done in the past or future. So... Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.